0: Y'all are such a great congregation. You've been there so much for my family over these past several weeks. I love it how God works because I didn't talk with Jason about that, but uh, the very first song that we sang this morning and the very last song we just sang were the two songs that I chose for my dad's memorial service uh, three weeks ago. And it is with incredible joy that I can stand, stand here and say that I am so thankful that I had godly parents. Three years ago, yesterday, we lost my mom after a year-long battle of cancer. Three weeks ago, we, we lost my dad. And you guys have been such a great congregation to us. And as I stand here today and I hear those songs, I would be a mess today if it weren't for the fact that I know where my father and my mother are today and that they are reunited with Christ Because what we're going to talk about today and this whole idea in this series called One, I'm reminded of my parents' marriage. I'm reminded of their love for each other. And quite honestly, the hardest thing for me to deal with has been the last three years because my parents were such a team that when my dad lost my mom, it was really, really difficult for him to continue forward in knowing what his purpose in life was because they had been married for 53 years. I got to see 40 years of that marriage. And they raised godly children. They've seen godly grandchildren. There is a Christian heritage. And when I sing those songs, I literally, when I got up three weeks ago and I said this, and I was in tears, I said, these are not tears of sorrow. Because every time I sing that song, I see my mom and dad worshiping Jesus Christ. And I see them together with my godly grandmother and my godly great-grandmother. My great-grandmother led my mother to the Lord. My mother was very significant in me coming to the Lord. So there's a heritage there. And so we're in this series called One, and I'm reminded of my parents' marriage. They were not perfect people. My dad was one of the more hard-headed people I've ever known. My mother was definitely a saint for being able to live that whole, her whole marriage in that relationship like that. But my parents were not perfect, but they were a team. They met each other, both on, with two different wheat harvesting companies. My, my mother's with her dad, who was a wheat harvester from West Texas. My dad was working with a company from Midwest Oklahoma. They met in Kansas in a laundromat. And fell in love doing laundry. Can you imagine what what marriage couldn't make it if you fell in love in a laundromat? You know what I'm saying? And they built a custom home building business. They built a, uh, a cattle business. By the way, I want you to know that I'm now the proud part owner of, of about 15 to 20 cattle. My daughters think it's so cool that they are in Texas and now they actually own cattle. They think it's really cool. They've actually named them, okay? And uh, we never did that on the farm, you know, because... You don't want to be eating what you name. You know what I'm saying? It's just not a a really good thing. But my parents were that great example of a godly marriage, of this whole idea of one. Not perfect people, incredibly imperfect people, but yet who died to themselves and understood what it really meant to live this life of what it looked like to others of what Christ wants to be in our lives. I can stand with you today and I can say, in the middle of my own grief, as Bart has shared over the last several weeks and months, thinking about the loss of Dan, a dear person to so many of us, his brother-in-law, but a friend to so, so many of us. We can stand in the midst of grief and we can say, we do not grieve as your pastors. We're on display in front of you and we do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. I teach a class at Tarrant County College. It is world religions. And as I've taught world religions. One of the key things that we talk about. Is how people deal with death. The Hindu deals with death. By going to the Ganges River. And as they cremate their loved one. And they send them down. And literally spread their ashes across the river. Believing that they're trapped in this cycle. Of reincarnation. We do not grieve. Like the rest of men who have no hope. I have incredible hope today. And my hope is on display in front of you today. And that's what I want us to share about our marriages. Our marriages, literally, just like our grief, is on display for a world to see that there is unity. You see, everything that Jesus taught us was cross-cultural. It was against the culture. Things like this. As Jesus said, love your enemies. That is against the culture. Forgive rather than retaliate. That sounds like a great idea. It sounds like a noble thing to do. But that is against what our culture. It's against everything that, our, that we're taught. And everything that we know. Jesus said to live you must die. He said die to your rights. He said to be a leader. You must be the servant to all. To stay married. In this culture, it's cross-cultural. It's against culture. And it goes against the very thing that everything in the world is telling us is, you can't make it, you're not going to make it. And what I want to share with you today is, this whole idea of being one is that your marriage and my marriage, if you're married today. If you're not married today, what I would encourage you is, the things we're going to talk about in relationships are also mindful of you in being in unity with other believers. But the things we're talking about today, this ability to be unified, is that this, a Christian marriage, is God's grace and character on display. More than anything else, we have not presented this series to you as five quick and easy steps to a life-loving marriage for all to see. That is not what we've presented this to. As Bart and I talked about this series we're so tired of the three, four quick, easy steps to doing this. And here's the deal. I'm just here to tell you, marriage is not easy. And there are no five quick, easy steps to making it work. Matter of fact, what I'm going to share with you today is, it's impossible in and of your own flesh to ever make it work. But your marriage and my marriage is on display. Just like as we walk through grief, we are on display that the world might know that there is hope in our marriages and might hope know that there is hope even in the midst of grief and suffering. That's what God wants to show in us, and there's nothing easy about that. So I'm sorry if you showed up today and you wanted a nice. Hey, right? this is this is real easy to do. Just do these two or three things. Time management. Just just work on your time management skills, and you know, ladies, he will fall in lo- or men, she will fall in love with you over again. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking. This is tough stuff. And you and I have to die to ourselves. Does it scare you a little bit to know that your marriage is on display for someone else to see the unity that they could find in Christ in a relationship with Him? Well, that's what God has called us to. And that's the message that He wants us to hear, I believe, today. Jesus said it in John 17. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's what Jesus prayed as He was going to the cross and He had you and I on His heart and on His mind when He prayed this prayer in John 17. Bart shared this a couple of weeks ago, but I just want to reiterate it because it is the essence of why we do this series. This series is yes, we want great marriages at Eagles View Church, but we don't want great marriages at Eagles View Church just because we want you to be happy and whole. That's great, but that's a byproduct. We want happy marriages at Eagle View, Eagles View Church because we want the world to see those marriages and to say, I want what they have. We want the world to see these marriages and to see that it is going against what the culture would say because we want you to have hope, but we want others to be able to see hope in you. And Jesus said this in John 17, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, Jesus is speaking to the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one. That's God's intent. Jesus' intent is, is for you and I to be one with our spouse, one with one another, that this unity would be on display for the world to see. I and them, he says, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So Jesus says, I want their love, I want their unity to be on display i want your character god i want your love to be in them so that the world may know that you are in us marriage is difficult and this whole idea that we've been giving you we have an assessment for you to take it's online it's free to you it's normally about thirty dollars to take and i want to strongly encourage you to take it i really want you to know what the strength points are in your your marriage and also the growth points for you. And it's something that we've made available. Just go to our website and it's also on a blue card that's in your bulletin today. You can take it home and go and take this assessment. We want you to do that. And the reason we want you to do it is because I've seen the beauty of what this can create for marriages and to help you know where you're strong and where you're weak. Jennifer and I took this. or 1997, we took this for the first time. We've taken it since, but we took it in 1997. We had been married for four years. Care was already uh, in place in our family, so we had a child, and we've been married for four years. So if you know anything, you've had that child, and you've been married for four years. So the newness is kind of wearing off. You know what I'm saying? Okay, So we took this assessment. It's the same assessment that we're encouraging you to take. It was so helpful in our relationship. But at this particular conference that we were at, this particular counselor also gave us a personality assessment along with the same assessment that you are taking. We're going to talk about it in just a second. But they gave us a personality assessment. And they rated us across the room, and they said, we're going to place you in a line, all the people in the room, on these different scales, And they said, if you and your spouse are more than 30 points removed in any particular category, that is cause for alarm that you need to think about how you're going to work through this. Okay? Jennifer and I were more than 30 points removed in every category that they shared that day. In most categories, I was the person on the far right and she was the person On the far left. And everybody else, you know, they're looking at each other lovingly as they're so close to one another. Oh, aren't we good? And we're going, I can't even see you at the other end of the line. Like extrovert and introvert, okay? As you can imagine, I am an incredible introvert. I do not like people. Okay, you're laughing. So I'm an incredible extrovert. And she is really an introvert. Jennifer is on the other end of the spectrum. And in every category, that was us. And the counselor said, you guys, if you make it, are a testimony to God's grace. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we will go and pastor others. Okay, we will, we will help others know they don't have to be as screwed up as we are. That's what. So we were, we were that far apart. And on the assessment that we're encouraging you to take, one particular category is called leisure activities. Okay. Now, you don't get numerical scores. Thankfully, I think they looked at our scores and said, we will never give people numerical scores again. Because Jennifer and I scored a big fat, yes, that's right, zero in leisure companionship, okay, leisure activities. We scored a zero, which meant that we were astronomically different in how we answered that particular assessment. We scored a zero. There's only been three couples that I've ever had who scored a zero in any category, and two of those I encouraged not to get married, and one of them didn't and are very glad. The other one, don't know where they're at today, okay? So what I'm telling you is you can find out where you need to grow in, and Jennifer and I began to grow in this area of leisure activities, Finding things that we like to do together. Did you know that one of the biggest needs for men is recreational companionship? Did you know that, ladies? That is one of the biggest needs for men. And that was, Jennifer was scoring a big zero in recreational companionship for us. But I was scoring the zero as well. And so we started to work on that. And we've worked really, really hard in our marriage to find things that we both enjoy doing. And finally, we found one. It is called the beach all right? Jennifer's mom and dad sent us to Hawaii, and it was a blessed, blessed gift. And there we are in Hawaii, and we discovered that we loved the beach together. And Jennifer, really willing to go out on a limb and to do something for me that was really a loving thing to do, to overcome her incredible fear, somewhat irrational, of fear of sharks, okay? She and Bart Howell actually share this fear. I call it irrational because in bathtubs they're afraid of sharks. (laughs) Pastor Bart on his rubber mat in the middle of the pool is afraid of sharks, okay? I think he hears music playing. You know, he he hears that. So Jennifer has this incredible fear of sharks. So getting in the water is a major, major thing. And we were going snorkeling because I fell in love with snorkeling. I just love it. and love to chase one fish and then find another one and just, you know, go from fish to fish. That's what I love to do. She said, please stay with me. Okay, ladies? She only asked me one thing, to please stay with her. Guys, what do you think I did? I didn't stay with her. I was following fish, right? I was going from one fish to the next fish. And I swam towards the shore. And keep in mind, this is one of those things, this would go in my book of the thousand and one things a husband should never, ever say or do. And I've got a lot of them. I've got a lot of those things that I could tell you. I'm telling you, I'm on display today, and my marriage is not perfect. I am certainly not perfect. I swam towards the shore, and I lost Jennifer. As I was swimming towards the shore, I went into a tide pool. And I went up in, and I was just seeing all these beautiful fish. And evidently, as I went into the tide pool, the wave was coming towards the shore. And when Jennifer found me, and she tried to catch up with me, it was evidently coming back out when she was trying to go in. And I turn around and look and finally catch her, and she's flailing in the water. I mean, just, I mean, seriously thinking she's going to drown. And I said, stand up! Stand up! Stand up! And she was in a foot and a half of water. But because it was going against her, and she was flailing, she was and she got up, and I am laughing. Now, men... Don't do what I do, okay? This is not a time for you to do the things that I have done. This is a time for you to learn from my mistakes, okay? Do not do the things that I would do. It would be like the time that I told Jennifer, we are, again, newly married. I had been pastoring at a church for several years before we got married, and I knew everybody. Shock. I know that that shocks many of you. That I knew everyone. and she, We were going to this fellowship, and so I said, hey, Jen, you know, tonight don't be my shadow. Go and meet new people, okay? Ladies, when I said, don't be my shadow, I heard some gasp in the room, right? Because she said, I won't be your shadow here. I won't be your shadow anywhere, okay? (laughs) Matter of fact, you won't even see me, all right? And so don't do what I do. So here she is flailing in the water. I'm laughing. So get this picture, hair down, mask jacked up on her face, (laughs) looking at me. I'm not laughing at this point, (laughs) taking her flippers off, and she went, and we discovered leisure companionship on a beach while me snorkeling and Jennifer reading her book. But we're together, right? We're working on this. My whole point for you is I really want you to take advantage of this assessment. It's free for you for the next couple of weeks. I want you to take it because it's going to help you know where your marriage is strong and where you need to grow. We were at her, Jennifer's grandparents a couple of Sunday nights ago. And this is, uh, we, we go there some, uh, on many Sunday nights just to, to eat with the family. And there were some termites that had showed themselves, right? So this is the swarming season this time of year. And what do you know about termites? When you see them, what? The damage has probably already been done. And see, here's the thing. In your marriage, in my marriage, we've all got bugs, we need to work out but the question is sticking your head in the sand and thinking that they're not there is not going to fix it you can know the termites are there and if you don't call anybody they're still going to do their damage and there are things going on in your relationship and things that you need to work on including what we're going to be talking about today and you and i need to work on these things because marriage is difficult but if we want to see god's character displayed through us it means that we're going to have to die to ourselves and live to what Christ wants us to be. So, this marriage, your marriage, my marriage, it's on display. And we want to help you as much as we possibly can to help you work through that. So, we're giving you this assessment. And then on May the 19th, we are providing, we're bringing in a local counselor. And we're going to do just a debrief session over how to understand the scores that you got and maybe some steps that you can take from that. Again, none of it's easy, but it's a great place for you to begin to grow and work from. Gary Thomas says it this way in his book called Sacred Marriage. He says this What if your marriage was the laboratory that God uses to refine his character in you? What if marriage was the environment? Keep in mind a gem, maybe a diamond. And a diamond that's cut has many rough edges. It doesn't look like a diamond before you start working with it. And your marriage is a diamond in the rough. And it has edges. And your character personally as an individual has rough edges on your character. And what if marriage was one of the primary laboratories where which God used your spouse to rub off the rough edges of your life so that His character was revealed? If you're not married today, then the context of other Christian relationships are the place wherewith you can have an environment where you are loved unconditionally, but you can discover the things in your character that need to be, continue to be worked on. So that's the thing I would say to us. What if marriage is a laboratory that God wants to use and refine our character and his character in us? Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one man or one woman sharpens another. Our marriage relationships are this iron sharpening iron type of process where the goal is not just that you would have a happy marriage, but the goal is that your character, God's character in you, could be shown to others. And what you'd never hear about that passage is this. When iron sharpens iron, what is there? Friction and sparks. So when we sharpen one another, it is puts us in an environment that is sometimes very difficult so why does god choose marriage to be the primary place or the primary tool to refine our character it's because it's a union that he has created that he is a part of as bart talked about last week it is a covenant and it's a covenant that is important for us to understand that we enter into not just with us but with god himself and that when we stood on that day when we uh said our vows to our spouse, we were not just saying them to our spouse. We were inviting God to be a part of that relationship. It was a covenant relationship. And so today, we want to deal with this. We're going to talk about one of the most controversial passages in all of Scripture. It is a passage that, quite honestly, a lot of people would like to take out of the Bible. A lot of ladies would look at this and this whole passage and look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and following. Because it talks about this whole idea of submission. And ladies struggle with this most, I think, because it seems to, to be a throwback to a somewhat antiquated culture, to an older culture that maybe this has changed for today. And here's what I would say. If we would take this out of our Bibles, then we need to take also the passage in chapter 6 out of our Bibles, which says, children, obey your parents. Any parent in the room that want to take that out of Scripture? No. But we cannot also remove this passage from Scripture. But I think that it is greatly misunderstood. I don't think we understand the context that's here. I don't think we understand the environment that God wants to create in this. And I don't think we truly understand the picture that Paul is painting for us of Christ's relationship with the church. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, but I hope that you'll turn to it in your own Bible. But as you turn to it, you would also take a look as you get there to Ephesians chapter 4. And Ephesians chapter 4 deals with this whole idea of unity. Paul is talking about that unity is to be what's on display for a world who so desperately needs Christ, the unity that's in the church, the unity that's in our friendships, the unity that's within our marriage. It is on display that the world might know. And so Paul deals with that in chapter 4. Within that is the same passage that I love so much because it talks about putting off certain things in our life and putting on certain things in our life. When we put off things and put on things, we are understanding that we are placing within our lives the character of Jesus Christ. And that that is not an easy process. It is not an easy process for you and I to die to ourselves. But it is important for us to do because we cannot live the Christian life if we do not begin to understand this and die to ourselves. And then we get to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 sets up the context because here's what I want you to understand. Christian marriage is to be the work of the Holy Spirit. What are some other works of the Holy Spirit? Salvation is one. Salvation cannot be achieved except the Holy Spirit convicts us and brings us to a place where we realize that we can't save ourselves and we need Christ. That's a work of the Spirit. It's not something that I can manufacture. I can't create it. I can go and share my faith with others, but the conviction part and someone actually accepting Christ, that's up to God. That's not up to me. And what I want to share with you today is marriage is a work of the Holy Spirit. But yet Oprah and Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz, they want to give you these great easy steps of time management and other things that will help you with your marriage. And they may help. But here's the truth, you're not going to make it without the Holy Spirit. And that's the reason our culture, more than 50% are not married today. And the statistics in the church and outside the church are really not all that different because we try to gut it out. We try to do this thing on our own, in our flesh, and we try to make it happen. We try to create love. We try to create romance. We try to keep the home fires burning. We try to do all these things but it is a work of the Holy Spirit. And if you try to gut it out, you're not going to make it. I hate to tell you that today, but that's the truth. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand Ephesians 5.21 because we don't understand that it goes back to Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.21, let me just state what it says. We'll get back to it in a second. It says, submitting to one another out of a reverence for Christ. But that's not where we begin. You see, submitting to one another is a what's called a participle phrase it is a dependent clause okay we're going back to the English lesson, okay that was not my particular forte, but well here's what it what it means it's a dependent clause on a verb that's previous in the text, and you have to go back to ephesians five eighteen in order to know what that text is ephesians five eighteen says this therefore five seventeen and eighteen therefore do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Everybody is always searching. What is God's will? Here it is. Here is one thing that we know is God's will. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a passage telling you not to drink. Okay? That is not the focus here. The focus is Paul is using an illustration. He's using an illustration that says, you've seen people who get drunk with wine, right? They are in control, they are being controlled by a different substance. They are inebriated. They are in control of a foreign substance that they've taken into their body. And they are not in control of their own body anymore. And Paul says, do not be drunk with wine like that, but in the same way that people are drunk with wine and lose control of their own abilities, in that same way, be full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, allow the Holy Spirit to be the one in control of your life and as a result of the Holy Spirit being in control of your life, then you can submit to one another in the process of marriage. You see, marriage, Christian marriage, is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is something that you and I cannot gut up and do for ourselves. And just like we wouldn't depend upon ourselves for salvation, we need to understand that in the context of marriage, we need to give this over to Christ and realize it's going to take the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. I want to share with you just an illustration of of what filling the Holy Spirit is. I didn't want to set this bucket up on stage and have it here the whole time. But if you imagine that in this bucket there is water and there's a sponge, okay? And this sponge is like you and I. And the water is like the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we become full of the Holy Spirit? The problem is in our life is we are full of all other kinds of things. And to be full of the Holy Spirit means that we first have to be empty of everything else. And that's the reason Ephesians chapter 4 is so important. And Ephesians chapter 5, if your marriage is going to be full of the Holy Spirit, it means it has to be empty of everything else so that it can be placed in the Spirit and then be made full of Him. So our, our whole lives, if we are going to understand the control of the Spirit, And what He wants to do in our lives, it means that you and I must go through the process of dying to ourselves. That's not fun. That's not easy. And there's no easy way to do that. But what greater environment for that to happen in than in the context of a Christian marriage? To know that there is a place that God has designed in an ideal format where you are unconditionally loved and you unconditionally submit to one another. So Ephesians 5.18 says that, or excuse me, Ephesians 5.21 helps us to understand this, that the Christian marriage environment is one of mutual submission and mutual love. You see, the environment of the, of the Christian marriage is designed to be a place where you can rest in the fact that you are unconditionally loved. It can be a place where you can hear the things that you need to change in your character, and you can trust them because there is mutual submission And mutual love. Ephesians 5.21 says. Submitting to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. That is a message to both the male and the female. In marriage. You and I are to submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. The same is true in our Christian relationships inside the church. We are to submit to one another. One person is not always to be in charge. Matter of fact as Jesus said. The person who is going to be the the one in charge is going to be actually the servant of all. So when we submit to one another, Jesus or Paul uses the illustration of a marriage to help us understand the relationship that Jesus has with the church. That, does that not floor you? That of all the illustrations that he would choose, he chooses a Christian marriage to illustrate the fact of how Christ loves his church? And that he uses Christ, how he loves his church, to be the illustration of what a marriage is supposed to be. The environment is to be one of mutual submission and love. But before we go too far, what we need to understand is Jesus is our example of mutual submission and mutual love. Of unconditional submission and unconditional love. He's the one who shows us how we can do this. Ephesians 4 deals with this. Verse 32 through uh, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, if you're looking for your... Steps to knowing how you can love your spouse. These are some good places to start. Ephesians 5, 30, 4.32 Be kind to one another. There's a great idea. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. What a great thought. As God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God. As beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you're wondering in this marriage relationship, how in the world am I supposed to submit to one another? How is this whole idea supposed to happen? How how are we supposed to actually do that? We get our example right from Christ. He says, walk in love. As Christ loved you, so you're supposed to love one another. As He has forgiven you, so you're to forgive one another. See, the whole aspect is this. Yes, you have incredible differences, and I have incredible differences. As I have just put on display for you today, Jennifer and I could probably not be two different persons, but God has put us together and knit us together in such a way, an environment of a loving relationship, that I can have my rough edges scraped off. Yesterday was that kind of a situation for me. We went through my office yesterday, okay? And we went through my stacks and piles of paper. My personal motto is, why do today what you can totally get done tomorrow, okay? That is, that is one of my personal life mottos. That is the reason that with great lashings, if I were to take off my shirt, you would see the stripes upon my back of Jennifer whipping me to get this Ph.D. finished, okay? Because I started 10 years ago, and I had one semester left, and she said, you have got to finish this thing. I said, but I don't want to finish this. She said, you are going to finish this. So get in there and work. It wasn't quite like that. But yesterday as we were going through my office, it kind of felt like that. As She would hand me a stack of papers and she would say, I love you. Go through this stack of papers. And 80% of them went in the trash. And I'm just like doing this. Well, why do you need this from three years ago? I don't know. I just thought I might need it. If it weren't for my wife, I would probably be one of those hoarding people, Okay. (laughs) I'd be in my If I was alone, I'd have stacks of paper everywhere. Now, the interesting thing about me, though, is although I have my stacks of paper, if somebody said, you know, where is John Abenshan's number? I said, stack number three, about halfway down, there's a blue piece of paper with a post-it note stuck on top of it. I remember where stuff is, but I don't have to have all that stuff. I'd be a hoarder. I wouldn't have finished my PhD if it had not been for my wife. You see, God puts us in an environment where I know I am unconditionally loved. And I can look at my procrastination and I can look at my messiness and I can see it for what it is and I can seek to take steps to improve it. Okay? My name is Randy Miller and I am a hoarder. Okay? I can improve those things because I'm in an environment where I know my wife unconditionally loves me. That doesn't mean that she's willing to leave me like I am, but that I can continually work on these things, that we can do that together. You know, it's things like doing the checkbook. I'd rather change banks every month than do the checkbook, okay? <laughs> and we've done that before. No, not really. But we don't do that because she works with me in these things. And there's things that I'm better at than, than Jennifer is, but I just don't preach about those. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I want to go home. You understand? (laughs) Okay. But it's in mutual love and unconditional love and unconditional acceptance that we can do these things and refine our character as what God desires for us to be. Because the goal, yes, it's that I love my wife. But the goal is really that our unbelieving neighbors can see our relationship and say, that's what a relationship with Christ is supposed to be like. As we go through our grief. It was Jennifer who left a note in her, her school workroom, just thinking because they bought us, bought my family a meal while we were in Arkansas, and it was, or we were uh, one, one of the nights when all the family was gathering, and we said, "Hey, this is Jennifer's school paid for this," and we, she wrote a thank you note, and said, "We grieve with hope," and one of her, one of her other teacher friends came in and said, "I love that phrase. Where's that come from? What's that about?" It gives us an opportunity. We're on display. The character of Christ is on display in a place of mutual submission. Jesus is our example of mutual submission and love. So we come to this passage, Ephesians 5, 22, that within this environment of mutual submission and mutual love that we have for one another, God gives us specific roles. Yes, it's mutual love and submission, But God gives wives' roles and husbands' roles within that. I can't write it out of Scripture. It's there. And we need to talk about it. We need to deal with it. But it's there because God has something significant He wants us to see. Ephesians 5.22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as to the church, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands so we have this passage wives submit to your husbands it's there what does it mean it means that within the realm of this relationship called marriage ladies god has called you to be unconditionally submissive now wait a second hold on with heels in the ground i'm I'm not going there what do you mean by that simply means this there's some great things it doesn't mean number one it doesn't mean that you submit to all men You're you're only submissive unconditionally within the realm of your marriage relationship, your Christian marriage. It is only to that one individual. So people would say, well, all women are supposed to be subject to all men. No, it doesn't say that. It says wives are submissive to their own husbands and as to the Lord. Ladies, one of the things it says is that When you do this activity, it is showing that you are dying to yourself. You're dying to what you want. You're dying to the things that you desire and being submissive in that situation. Do you understand? We're going to get to husbands in just a second, but they are to unconditionally love. This whole idea of unconditionally submit and unconditionally love, how would you define them? They're essentially dying to yourself, aren't they? Just different facets of it. And the whole beauty of it is it brings these two facets together to make one complete whole. That you see in the marriage relationship. Wives it does not mean that you submit to an evil ogre who doesn't love you. Because what's getting ready to be said is. You submit only to a loving husband in the environment of unconditional love. I've not met any wives who if their husband was unconditionally loving them. that they would not be willing to say wherever you lead I will go. Just lead. 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 Lead spiritually, lead emotionally, lead out in what this is called to be. We've got a group of men who meet on Saturday mornings and we're talking about this whole idea that the church seems to be full of and has been for centuries kind of leaning towards men to not be real men. And what God is calling us to as men is to lead like He's called us to be and to be men. And if we were to love as we were supposed to love, I believe that wives would be saying, I'll follow wherever you lead since you show me this love. So it's not submitting to an evil ogre, but a loving husband. And it's not submitting to doing anything that Christ would not lead you to do. Here's the understanding of the example of authority. Okay, There are many places that we have authority. I'm fixing to tell a subject, fixing to say something that my wife doesn't even know happened this morning. But I was subject to, to authority this morning as I came off of the ramp, <laughs> off 820 and onto 287. And I got to Longhorn, and there was a green light. There is never a green light at Longhorn, okay, when I'm coming off of that, and so I always have to stop. Well, I didn't have to stop, so, man, I was tooling down. I had 94.9 on the radio. I was focused in on getting here. I was focused in on what I was going to say. And the car turned around behind me, and the light started flashing, and I'm going, oh, dog gone, another one of my horrible traits on display for all to see, <laughs> and so I get pulled over and gave them the wrong insurance, and I got a warning this morning to the grace of God, okay, and the grace of the Saginaw PD, I got a warning today, but you see, that is subject to authority, I am subject to that authority. I knew what the speed limit was, and I disobeyed it. I am subject to that authority. So here's what it means, ladies. It means this. You are not submissive for anything. You are submissively, unconditionally submissive to the authority where Christ would take you in your relationship. So here's what it looks like. The umbrella of Christ is here. The umbrella of your husband, the headship of the husband is here, and the wife flows underneath that. If the husband steps out of the authority of Christ... You're not called to follow that. It'd be just like children. If I were to say to, to your kids, and they'll, many of them will be in the next service, and they're going to hear this, so I'm just warning you now, that if you as a parent try to help, try to lead your child to go in a place where Christ wouldn't take them, let's say you ask them to do something illegal, and they say, okay, I'm going to flow under Christ's authority and not under my parents' authority. That's biblical. You see, when in question, you always go with the higher authority. And so ladies, it is not submissiveness to do anything that your husband says. It is submissiveness to do anything that as he loves you unconditionally, that Christ would lead you to do. So it's very important that we understand where this whole attitude and this idea of submission. But it's very cross-cultural in our culture, I understand. to, To understand where this and to whom this was written to, that ladies in this culture were basically property of the husband. That is no longer the case. Thank God, that is no longer the case. Matter of fact, my belief is that the whole Muslim community is going to come out of some of this because of that understanding in that God has a different role for women in this society. But this is not a cultural issue that Ephesians 5 is talking about. It's talking about a specific role within the relationship. Wives are to unconditionally submit to a loving husband and to a husband who is leading them where Christ would lead them. Now, men. Men are to unconditionally, we are called to unconditionally love. Now, it's interesting that although the wife portion is first, which I find quite interesting, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. I would, if I were writing this, I would think I would put the husband portion first, okay? because I want that to flow <laughs> in that direction. But I'm not writing it. And God has inspired it to be written this way. So he puts the wife portion first. But the husband portion, interestingly enough, is three times as long. And he says the same thing three times. Okay, men? Okay, we need to hear this multiple times. We need to not hear it once. We need to not hear it twice. But three times we hear the same message. Paul says this. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. This is, he really, it's almost like Paul gets an ADD moment and he goes, he's talking about the husband and wife relationship and he starts talking about Christ and he just focuses in on Christ. It's almost like he forgets the other discussion, but he doesn't. He has a reason. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He's talking about Jesus and his relationship with the church. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The picture is literally of the wedding day, of the beautiful dress that that wife, that the church, the bride of Christ, that your wife may have come down the aisle in. It's that beautiful dress that he is saying, there is purposeful love that Jesus gives to his church to prepare her For what she will be, His bride, one day when we are presented as a church unified together on that judgment day when we are presented as the bride of Christ, all of us together. You see, Christ's love is purposeful. And a husband's love is to be unconditional and is to be purposeful to his wife that he would love her, that he would wash her, that he would take care of her, that he would pour the Word of God over her, that he would be involved with her. That means spiritual leading and emotional leading and sacrificial monetary leading within the family. You see, it is unconditional love. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He's saying, okay, if you didn't get the image of Christ then get this one. Let me bring it down. This is the dummy version, okay? Let me bring it down. Do you love your own body? And all the men in the room said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the reason we flex in the mirror up till the age of 40 and then we no longer do that, okay? Okay, we have Dunlap disease. Our chest is Dunlap all the way down into our... Okay, so we, we've got all those things, but it's the beautiful message that he says, do you love your own body? What, what man is going to say to his head... Or or to his body, I'm not going to, I don't love you. I'm not going to take care of you. I'm not going to make time for you. Your wife is your own body. And he talks about this whole idea of headship. Where does this whole idea of headship? Well, it's literally, it is the picture of a body. And the head without the body is really useless, okay? You ever gone back to old England when Henry VIII cut off his wife's heads? Okay, okay. The body's not useful anymore without a head. Have you ever noticed that? Okay, and the head is not useful without the body. It's a, it's a really cool thing because when I choose to walk over here to the right, you know what? My body follows me. If I choose to walk to the right and my body were to go this way, that's not a good idea, is it? You see, the head where the head leads, the body follows. And what Paul is saying is, if you're going to love your own body, do you not understand that you need to love your wife because she is heart of you men we would not have an issue with submission if we would love unconditionally and that's the truth and that's not easy and there's nothing easy about it and it's not easy for you to die to your own ways and to live for someone else but this is the process of marriage and marriage is to be the place where god's character is formed in us he finishes And he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Therefore, and he quotes Genesis chapter 2, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And we want to make that a sexual thing, and it is, but it's also a spiritual thing. It's also a dying to self thing. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. William Egerich has written a book called Love and Respect. He used this passage as the primary premise for the whole book. And he talks about simply this, that there is a cycle that we go into that men need unconditional respect and women need unconditional love. And what happens is the cycle is going on. And when men don't get respect, they find it hard to give love. And when women don't get love, they find it hard to give respect. And we get into this vicious cycle of not giving love and not giving respect and we get so against what Christ has called us to And as I look at that cycle, I believe it exists. And as I've looked at marriages and I've looked at my own and I've looked at others, I believe it so much that that cycle exists. But it goes back to what Ephesians is talking about, what Paul is dealing with us. It's unconditional love and unconditional respect. But here's what I know. It's got to begin somewhere. Someone's got to die to themselves first. Men, I believe it's us. I wholeheartedly believe That the call is for us to first unconditionally love, even if we don't get unconditional respect. It's hard. It's not easy to do. And I believe God will reward you in doing that. But I believe it starts with us. We're going to be talking a little bit more about roles and roles in the family and that type of thing as we continue in this series. But the key thing today is this. God wants His character to be formed in you and me. And there's not a better place for that to happen than within a Christian marriage. Now, if you're not married today, it's in the context of Christian relationships that this happens. People that you can know and trust and have unconditional love and respect for, that they can speak into your life and help you to know the areas where you need to grow in. I do want to encourage you to go online and take this assessment just to know know where the bugs are. If you don't know where they are, you can't deal with them you pray with me this morning father i thank you for this day and i thank you for your word that is so clear this example that you've given us in marriage that you desire so much for us to look more and more like you and lord i pray for marriages that are in this room i pray for those who are not married within this room that lord all of us would be able to understand that most importantly you want our lives to be on display to a world who so desperately needs you so father i pray for that person who's here today that doesn't know you that lord that they would come to know you even today to realize that the Holy Spirit wants to work in their life too to unconditionally love them and to bring them to faith in you. Lord, would you just speak to that one or two, whoever needs to hear that message. And Father, for those of us who continually need to work in our relationships, would you just give us grace and peace that we might love each other as you've called us to again that it may portray to a world who needs you how much you love them. It's in Jesus' name I pray.